A decade ago, digital agencies were all the rage for local print and broadcast media companies. Everybody had one or was starting one up, but since then, quite a few have collapsed, and we wanted to know why. This is the first of a three-part series exploring media-born agencies. The ones that failed, the ones that continue to survive, and the likely future of a strategy that someday could save, others say sink, the media industry. Welcome to the Local Marketing Trends Podcast, bringing you unique insights on the ever-changing world of local marketing from two of the industry's brightest analysts and forecasters, Corey Elliott and Gordon Burrell. Today's podcast is sponsored by Affinity X, the best and largest creator and executor of digital advertising solutions for leading ad agencies nationwide, and by the Media Audit, the most comprehensive local syndicated audience measurement in the country. And now, here are your hosts, Corey and Gordon. Hello, everybody, and hello, Mr. Gordon Burrell. Hello, Corey. How you been up? are what you, I'm great. What have you been up to lately? You've been doing a lot of stuff on digital services in between doing uh, the what's become really popular, the uh, Corey's Local Marketing Minute yeah, video. Yeah, having, having a good time. First of all, having a good time with the Local Marketing Minute um, coming up. We've got some good stuff like listening to local advertisers predict what's going to happen in the future. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, I've been having my hand down in digital marketing service. I'm so excited about these next three podcasts. This is the first one out of three that's taking a look at digital agencies inside of media companies, what works, what doesn't. Uh, having people open up about what didn't work is great, and that's what this episode is all about. But uh, yeah, I'm finding some really interesting things when it comes to local small medium businesses buying digital services. So, you, so you, you're deep into looking at SMBs by cohort size by number of employees, like businesses with fewer than five employees, fewer businesses with more than 100, et cetera, exactly. and what they're spending on all those services. Give us the highlights. Yeah, here's the highlights. Now, there are some services that everybody needs that everybody knows, no matter what size they are, they're going to buy, like web hosting. They all have to fork money out for it, right? Well, think about something like um, social media management. Here's something that's interesting that's happening. The smaller you are, if you're just starting out, chances are you're doing your own social media management. Hell, you might not even know you're doing it, but you're doing it. And as you grow, we see a tendency to, as you start to get bigger, then you start to farm it out a little bit. But then you keep growing. And when you keep growing, you bring it back in again. You've hired somebody, you've hired your nephew to uh, you know, sit in the corner and do social media. And then you keep growing, then you take it back out again for an overall strategy. You're big enough to have this encompassing strategy. So it's, there's kind of this in-out, in-out thing that happens with a lot of digital services. Yeah, I remember seeing in our last survey back uh, in the fall of 2020, uh, and there was a remarkable percentage of businesses that said they were handling things internally with someone and a certain number of staff and a certain amount of money they spent internally. And then some also handling it through an agency or, I guess, a media company. So there seemed to be a pretty strong mix of some internal management of it. But, you know, as we're, we're talking about that, the market continues to mushroom. It's just this very slow in the past maybe a dozen years or so, you know, developing mushroom where more and more businesses are developing more and more of a need for digital. We saw an explosion for it last year. The question that I had is, 
what happened to all these people who stood up on the stage and conferences at yeah. trade associations and said, yes, we created Big Fish Digital Works and we did this and people, you know, taking loads of notes and they go back and then they're supposed to give this report about what I learned, you know, in Miami at the conference right. or Tampa or whatever. And they said, yeah, everybody seems to be starting these digital agencies. So, you know, it it multiplied itself when these folks got up there on on stage and talked about them. Yeah, it sure did. And that started happening, what, 10, 15 years ago. We really saw it start to blossom. Well, what the heck has happened? Have they all been successful? Yeah, quite a few have failed, which I think prompted our series. Some are successful, quietly so, and that's really interesting. And then we really do want to address the future. What does the future hold? We know where things are headed, and that is digital is just not going to go away. And all the digital stuff that people are buying, and the more and more that you're intertwined with what a company is doing in digital, the more and more you're right there to help them make marketing decisions on TV or on radio or on newspapers. That's a story that's as old as the hills now, it seems. But how do you go about that? Exactly. And how do you move? Because the local business, part of that reason they they turn outward as they grow is they're looking – we do a disservice by calling it digital services because it it makes it sound like it's a service, which it is, but it's not part of a whole marketing strategy. And I think that's the shift that happens as you grow is I'm buying something I have to have to I'm buying something I I need to have to, uh, you know, support my marketing campaign. So I guess the key question is, okay, everybody understands we need to sell some sort of digital services. Let's just sell SEO or help somebody with their website or do some social right. media management for them. But the bigger question is, okay, how is this firm supposed to be structured? Should it be a separate digital unit? Is it an agency or is it just a service, agency-type services that your sales staff sells? To be clear, the digital agency, the ones that we're examining, are ones that have been created separately following Clayton Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma, which said, you really aren't going to be successful unless this is completely separate. So let's get to a couple of those interviews. I did uh, three of them, one offline, two online, right after this commercial message. Affinity X is a trusted partner among leading digital marketing agencies. They can help you retain and grow your customer base with a complete product and service solution. Turn fixed costs into variable cost with a trusted outsourced partner. Scale your business with quicker turn times and flawless delivery. Reduced costs and improved margins. Affinity X is unmatched in experience, solutions, and technology that drives results. They can help your agency thrive in the increasingly competitive digital marketing landscape. Visit them at AffinityX.com to learn more. Celebrating 50 years of experience, the Media Audit provides advertisers, agencies, and media companies with consumer insights in more than 80 markets. The Media Audit provides you with an edge in a highly competitive marketplace, helping you quantify customer trends by tying them to what's happening in your market. Learn more and schedule a demo. Visit TheMediaAudit.com. That's TheMediaAudit.com. Okay, we're back, and I've got with me Chris Edwards, a good friend who sat on the local media association board with me and I've known throughout the years. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Gordon. It's great to talk to you again. Well, here we are. You attended a number. I think you actually spoke at our conference in San Francisco many years ago and at other conferences as well about Fusion Farm and what they're doing. 
And then it just didn't happen anymore. When was the dream for Fusion Farm? Let's start there, Chris. When was the dream born and what was the vision? Yeah, so we created what became Fusion Farm in 2012. And that was in response to a lot of the discussion that was happening around the digital space and how how traditional media companies could get in there. So it was about 2012 and we started off rather humbly with uh, just organizing a group that was better at digital ad placement on our own sites, expanded that into video because we had a television station and the capabilities to do that and some creatives and, uh, and off we went. Was there a lot of interaction with the TV and the newspaper side of the business? There was, um, and it'd, it'd be too long a story to tell for a podcast, but the, the gist of it was that we knew that owning, locally owning television and newspaper in the same market, because we were grandfathered starting both in our area, that we had kind of a unique opportunity to really not just do digital, but to create an organization inside of the media company that utilized the best of all worlds. So we had print creatives, we had digital creatives, we had broadcast creatives, and then we overlaid that with some uh, development talent. Uh, we thought we we would be able to carve out a, a pretty good niche there, and for a period of time, it actually it actually worked pretty well. So, to talk about revenues just briefly, generally, you know, what was the target revenue after say three or four years, and how close did you get to that goal? We knew that if we could get our revenues up to around a hundred thousand bucks a month, specifically allocated to the Fusion Farm products, um, that we were going to be in pretty good shape. And we actually got there about the time that I was presenting uh, at your conference out in San Francisco. We had actually just crossed that line a couple of times to get to what for us was calculated as profitability. So we actually did get there. And, and the goal was to get up around 150000 a month uh, and then be able to tweak from there to then grow on a, a sustained schedule, either by adding people or making investments in, in new technologies or tools. So we breached the surface a couple of times, but we couldn't. We didn't sustain it ultimately. Yeah, not not bad for a small startup agency in, in Cedar Rapids. So, what was your first sign? It wasn't going to be easy. Frankly, it was the moment that we literally physically separated from the media company. So we moved to a cool, funky space down the street, and we took all of the Fusion Farm people, and and probably like many others that did similar things. Uh, you had a pretty significant division or split with the people that were at the legacy company, uh, the legacy uh, products. And when we got out from under there and we said, okay, we're going to create our own P&L and away we're going to go. I think some of our people who had been a part of the legacy company didn't really realize how much the legacy company was funding us and what we were doing. And so we didn't act as entrepreneurial as we probably needed to. We still, when when times got tough, we would uh, kind of go uh, running for dad. Um, whether that was for tools, money, help, assistance. If we're, sales were soft, we would go and lean on the, the, the legacy reps. And, and quite um, unsurprisingly, that wasn't very well received when Fusion Farm was viewed early on as the darling and, and the way that this was going to get us out of this uh, downturn. And uh, the legacy people, I think they candidly were happy to see us struggle. But that was really the first sign when we had to stand on our own two feet. Literally, that became a much much steeper hill to climb than I think anybody internally at the at the agency realized. Okay, so now that's confusing because we hear a previous story that I had mentioned about Big Fish Works, Mark Poss. Uh, they started a completely separate thing, and that's what made it work. And then when it reported back to the newspaper, it failed. You seem to be saying the opposite, and that is, wow, when we separated, that's why it failed. So in a nutshell, 10 seconds, what went wrong? 
in 10 seconds, it's two things, um, money and funding the, uh, the enterprise. And uh, the other thing was we pivoted towards creative. And I think if we would have stayed true to digital and become very, very good at the transactional digital business, I think we would have been fine. But we tried to act like a regular agency. We focused on the creative because that's how we thought we could differentiate ourselves from the Facebooks of the world. Um, and ultimately, that just doesn't scale. Could you have done something differently in, in retrospect that uh, would have would have had a different outcome and it, it would still exist and be very successful today? I think so. I think if the uh, management team at Fusion Farm, if we had really sat down and thought hard and watched the trajectory of things, we wouldn't have gone so heavily into creative. We, we, we won Emmys. We, we did great things. We produced great work. But ultimately, if you are so fixated as a traditional agency, you can't scale the digital end of that business. And we were focused almost solely on digital, efficient ad placement. We were doing pretty well. But when we got really grandiose and we tried to be a, a true creative agency and compete in that space, I think we lost our way a little bit. And what about the connection with the, the legacy part of the business? Would you have kept that or was that actually a good idea? I think the connection with the legacy part of the business is a good idea in as much as we had access to better access to advertisers in the business community. As far as the actual collaboration of product, I don't know. Like many probably have told you, um, and everybody knows, trying to win the hearts and minds of people that don't want to change or don't see a need is pretty difficult. And we had that as well. Uh, I would argue it's still going on today as I look from the outside uh, at those products. But at the end of the day, I think the access to the advertisers and a more smooth transaction and helping advertisers move to digital would have been a better course of action, if a little more benign. So that was my interview with Chris Edwards from Cedar Rapids. He's working now for a multi-state security firm. Seems to be pretty happy about it. But oddly enough, he told me one of the things that he handles is marketing and that he spends a very tidy five-figure amount on marketing every month, but nobody from the local markets ever calls on him to handle the things he needs digitally. Another bit of testimony, I think, to the uh, fact that there's a lot of opportunity out there, perhaps invisible to media companies, that keep going after the same local retail businesses again and again. Okay, let's get to Dan Easton. Dan was with the uh, digital agency down in Victoria, Texas, Advocate Digital Media. Just such a great, great agency. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Gordon. Glad to be here. So when was the dream for Advocate Digital Media born and, and what was the vision? So we had made, like many uh, media companies, made a lot of attempts to move the needle on digital and I think it was when we'd actually read Clayton Christensen's book, Innovator's Dilemma, and it sort of clicked that all the symptoms were there. We created a separate team with a separate PL and went out and sold what I'd call digital publishing related solutions. But while we were out there, you know, uh, owned and operated uh, advertising on our websites. And as we were doing that, we saw the opportunity for really a more full service agency. And this was down in Victoria, Texas, where there wouldn't seem to be a whole lot of, you know, great big opportunities to serve uh, businesses with all of this digital stuff. A, kind of a small market, right? Yeah, it's uh, so the town's about 65,000 people, uh, serves about a 13 county area that's maybe in total 200, 225,000 people. 
So talk to me about the uh, the revenues. What type of revenues generally were you were you chasing after in say three or four years, and how close did you get to that goal? Uh, so I actually created uh, without telling anybody, created a PNL at one point in time as I saw publishing revenue declining. Uh, kind of put together a model that said if we can get to five million in digital revenue, we can actually replace the print product. And so that was our goal was five million. Uh, after about so I'm going to say three to four years, we were halfway there. Uh, and we were growing somewhere between 20 and 40% year over year, depending on the year. And what was your first sign? It wasn't going to be easy. You, you, you made good progress after, what would you say, three or four years. So when when did you start seeing something happen and what was it? Well, I mean, we saw that before we even started. When we started talking about you know implementing a separate team with a separate P&L, we immediately got some strong pushback from people on the traditional side of the business. Was it jealousy um, or what, what was the reason? You know, I think it, it to some degree it is. It's, uh, you know, it, the, if you have talented people on the other side of the house, they're looking at it going, well, wait a minute, how come these other guys get to do all this cool digital stuff while we're stuck here, you know, with the, with the, the traditional product? And of course, it wasn't really that way, but that was kind of the perception in their minds uh, with it. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an ego and emotion thing that is really the most challenging part of it. And for me, it was just a daily part of the routine. I was actually the publisher of the newspaper and the CEO of the media company, the digital media company. But um, coming from outside the industry, I didn't have some of the emotional ties. I certainly developed them over time, but some of the emotional ties to, to the uh, industry. And um, it was just a constant grind to arbitrate and redirect and refocus people so that they stayed on the task at hand rather than worrying about what was going on on the other side. And it was it was both direction well, mm. really. So it was a gravitational pull from the, the, the paper it, itself. And back, like you said, back and forth. So in a nutshell, maybe 10 seconds or so, what went wrong? What was it? What's the one thing that caused it just to collapse? You type in uh, Advocate Digital Media and it doesn't, doesn't <laughs> there anymore. So why? Why? What happened? <laughs> I completely underestimated the power and the reach of kind of the ego and emotion that is tied to this. And I didn't do a good enough job of managing it. That's the ultimate reason. The ultimate thing that I probably would have done differently, and, and I say, yes, it would have survived. And I say that because when it ultimately did collapse, some of the people on the digital team left and started another digital agency, and that's still running today. So, so in, in a sense, it's still successful. <laughs> if you think about it, it's just under a different name and different a different ownership and, and Thrive, Thrive Fuel, right? Yeah, that's correct. And so those guys, as far as I know, are still running it and doing well. There's actually another agency that was spawned out of that same group. So believe it or not, there's room for two agencies in that little small town. But it depends on your perspective. From their perspective, it was successful. From the media company's perspective, it was uh, a failure. So, uh, but as far as you know, when I really think about it, I mean, when I really think about what, what I've done differently, I can rewind the clock. Um, I actually would have started a separate digital agency with no ties to the legacy media company. And what I what I mean by that is, I mean literally, like, not even acknowledge that it was the same ownership group, um, just completely separate and never would have uttered a word about digital within the newspaper. And, you know, if if they decided to go after digital at some point organically, that would have been great. But as you know, we've been trying to force digital onto the newspaper industry for years now. And in some ways, it causes them to not perform as well with the newspaper, the traditional business. So, I would have made it more separate if I'd done anything differently. The other things, I mean, given the situation we were in, I should have worked harder to reinforce the success of the the digital 
endeavor, but you know, sometimes you sort of feel like you're rubbing people's nose in it. And um, I didn't want to do that. And so because of that, I erred on the wrong side of not kind of continuing to to confirm the the buy-in and commitment from the board and shareholders. And so ultimately I left the door open for, you know, it to to get uh, undermined. Okay, Corey. So there you have it. There are my interviews with Mark, uh, Chris, and Dan. I'm going to ask you what you think about it, but but there was okay. one question that I asked each of them, and I'm going to see if you can predict how they would have answered it. And that is, those in the industry who've done the research on these media-born agencies conclude one of three things. Okay. Where, where do you stand? This is what I asked each of them. Number one, they're a bad idea because a lot of smart companies couldn't pull them off. Okay. Or they can be successful, but only as a service bureau to the core products, print or broadcast sales staff. Or... They're successful, but they're best operated as separate units with their own staff, P&L, and customer set. So one is bad idea. The other two is mm-hmm. good idea, but combined, or good idea, but completely separate. How do you think they answered? Well, the wishy-washy person in me says, it depends on the media coming, but I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll pick one. I'll pick one for you. I think it's going to be the last one, and, and I'll tell you why later, but uh, I think it's going to be the – it's only successful if it's standalone. Well, in a survey of three, 66% <laughs> said yes, uh, and that was a survey of, uh, of, of Mark, uh, Chris, and Dan. As you can imagine, Chris, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, was the one who said they can be successful only as a service bureau. You remember mm-hmm. what he said, and that was only as a service bureau because that's when our revenue and profitability were highest. Yeah, it's. It, the, I was trying to figure out what the the commonality between these three were. Right? I mean, we all are, and there's something about the gravitational. I think you said it in one of the interviews. The gravitational force of the parent company or the legacy company that has to be dealt with and and defined. The other thing, and I please, I mean this in a good way, and I mean it all over the place, is I think there's something about ego. That in both on the legacy side and on the on these guys, if you have, in fact, one of them already did admit that his ego got in the way. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and, and I, I, I can see that clearly in all cases. Yeah, and and uh, I've seen it before too at a, a big company where somebody comes in and has a great idea, and then leaves. Guess what leaves with them? Yeah, the great idea. Well, there's an interesting story I'll leave everybody with, and it actually leads to the second uh, in our series where we're going to have an interview with a company that succeeded with its completely separate digital unit. And I'll tell you how that happened uh, just very briefly. I went to this particular company uh, and did some work for them, and they were in Tennessee. And they said, well, okay, we created this unit. What do you think of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're here to visit it. You're, you know, you're the ones who gave us the idea for this. And I said, I think you just ought to shut it down. You know, and they were just, they were in <laughs> shock. And they said, why? I can remember it was in a boardroom. And, you know, I think right. the chairman was, or the, the president and CEO of the company was on a speakerphone. And it was like dead shock. And the guy who brought me in was in dead shock too. He was like, oh shit, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. Um, but I said, look, you put it in this little tiny brick building that used to be the circulation department of your newspaper. You don't even have a sign for it. Uh, your whiteboard is two by two. So you must suspect they don't have any great ideas. And mm-hmm. the furniture was borrowed from you know, the newspaper office. Meanwhile, the newspaper office is getting $750,000 worth of new carpet. So you you just don't have faith in this. Shut it the hell down. So long story short, they created the separate unit completely separate and moved it to another city. 
of a, a larger city nearby, not the small city, you know, on the campus of where the newspaper was. So we'll get to that story in the next podcast. It's the story of a little company called High Road Digital. So Corey, thanks again for your insights and thoughts on this. I really, uh, really find it, you know, this is an interesting topic. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Can't wait for the next one. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See you later. You've been listening to the Local Marketing Trends Podcast, sponsored by Affinity X and the Media Audit. If you have submissions or ideas for future shows, or if you'd like to be a guest, email the hosts at podcast at Thanks for listening. And remember, market well.